0: welcome to the sunday night health show podcast do you want to prevent alzheimer's disease well then it's time to get off the couch and pound the pavement plus why is pomp and circumstance important and you might not like your hair or your hands but does that mean you have body dysmorphic disorder Also, what are some of the common issues at menopause and where do we go with COVID from here? The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. Dementia affects more than 55 million people worldwide and is the seventh leading cause of death globally. And as you are probably aware, the proportion of older people in the population is increasing, and therefore the number of dementia cases will also continue to rise. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some prevention about that. But first, uh, Leo just told me that uh, his grandmother had Alzheimer's disease, which is one form of dementia. Leo, I'm sorry to hear that, and your your grandmother died of that.
1: Uh yeah, I think as a as I mean as time of that uh but that that was fourteen years ago when she passed so it's its wasn't recent at all um but yeah but we lived apart for um most of our lives and then different series, but uh the last three three years of her life like she lived in my house with uh with uh with my parents in our house so i mm-hmm. i got to you know share like the last three years of her uh, my life like with hers and getting to know mm-hmm. her uh better she was uh, i think she was 88 when she died or close 85 okay. um yeah but she used to uh she didn't remember he, she couldn't identify like any of us all she would call my dad by her uh, my dad by uh my grandfather my uh, deceased grandfather's name or, or myself mm-hmm. too but yeah it was it was mm-hmm. but um yeah, but that didn't uh, make anything different. We, I, I, actually, I those three years, even, uh, it maybe get closer to her, you know, from the attachment. I was sad when she she passed, but um. Yeah. Yeah. And how old was she
0: when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease?
1: I think when I was, uh, I I think what about I no, I mean, I'm thirty-two. So I think when I was like my earliest. Uh, I think it was probably back in the 90s or late 80s or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: Yeah, dementia is most common in people over the age of 75, and and genetics and aging are two of the biggest risk factors for dementia, according to the Alzheimer's Society. So, so yeah, but it's tough. It's difficult when loved ones don't know you and, um, you know, don't recognize you or confused or or can't care for themselves on the daily basis can't do their activities of daily living you know things things change life changes a lot for people and not just the person with alzheimer's disease but uh the people in the family as well
1: uh uh, yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, having that experience, because other than that, like, my experience was just like this, like reading and seeing other cases. But yeah, it's, it's different when you experience that yourself, right? Within oh, it, uh, your family. So uh, yeah. so um, Yeah,
0: it certainly is. and And I think, you know, I really feel that people, especially if you're in a relationship or not, but you know, quality of life is everything. But you know, And if whatever we can do to keep ourselves healthy or maintain good health, good quality of health, I think we should do, Um, you know, because it's, you're less likely to have to go into long-term care, or if you're in a relationship, somebody gets Alzheimer's disease or, or another significant medical condition, catastrophic medical condition, and, and automatically your spouse becomes your caregiver and, you know, caregivers are at great risk for stroke and um, other cardiovascular disease and other, um, issues like anxiety, depression. And, you know, I actually have a friend whose husband has, um, had a fracture recently, had an accident, a biking accident, and he has had a clean break, clean fracture, quick surgery, the Canadian healthcare system, they're boasting that it's, you know, worked incredibly well, uh, had a surgery on a, a Sunday and was, was home by Wednesday. And um, you know, but after two weeks, you know, I, I can see, you know, caring for him. Um could be he's a guy, just kidding. Um anyway, that but she's getting I said, you know, you you just don't look like yourself. You look tired, like it's wearing on you. So I'm gonna send some dinner over to them and um and then they're gonna have a field trip and they're gonna come over for dinner, <laughs> hopefully the end of the week. Anyway, but these are the kinds of things, you know, you have to be Um, So careful. We're talking uh, Alzheimer's disease and dementia. I have a caller on the line. uh, Charlie from Edmonton. Good evening, Charlie.
2: Good evening, Maureen. Um, My mother-in-law was very healthy. And then she had a Mm -hmm. minor stroke. Where it, you know, didn't affect her mobility at all. But after that, she was very mentally disturbed and would it be the stroke that caused the the mental well, dementia i guess she was well, never just sure. diagnosed with uh, either dementia or alzheimer's she just wasn't
0: herself right there are stroke related there is a uh, certainly stroke related Dementia, which can include—I don't know exactly what symptoms your mother-in-law is manifesting—but it can be memory loss, especially remembering recent events, poor concentration, difficulty following instructions, difficulty with organization, so activities of daily living, confusion, wandering, poor judgment. Yeah. Is she experiencing any of that?
2: Well, she did. She has since passed, but I've always oh, wondered why there. I'm it was sorry. The, the stroke that had. Caused, she always knew her son, mm-hmm. but none of the rest of us.
0: Oh, uh, what a shame. I mean, it can happen. You know, it's difficult for me to say it did happen because, you mm-hmm. know, only her. Yeah, doctor I, I would be just able wonder whether that. that's yeah.
2: what, what would have caused it because it wasn't, it was more TIAs than, mm. than real strokes.
0: Right, right.
2: Oh, yeah, well that does it's my worry about myself because I've had two
0: TIAs. <laughs> oh, have you? Well you sound sharp as a bell, right? <laughs> as sharp as a knife right there. <laughs> Clear as a bell. Yeah. <laughs> oh I am, but uh, I tell you. Maybe after I'm each confused. One, I worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well stay well. Thank you so much for the call, Charlie. Thank you, Maureen. You're welcome. Okay. So coming back, we are talking about this and you know, people ought to be concerned. This is why it's important to look after your health, control your blood pressure, eat a healthy diet, um, exercise, exercise. And that I'm going to tell you a little bit about a study that you've probably heard about um, recently and how that can help to prevent Alzheimer's disease, disease. But first and foremost, I am delighted to have um on the line with me because uh there's a, who's gonna tell you I actually I have my next guest I'm delighted to have on the um <laughs> I'm actually trying to get the exact um uh title. Devin Taylor is the event officer at the Alzheimer's Society of British Columbia and she is in charge of the climb for Alzheimer's. Good evening Devin. Hello Maureen, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you?
3: Good. Nice to hear your voice.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Nice to hear yours. It's been a while. Um, it it sounds like maybe I have a little bit of Alzheimer's disease, the early onset, (laughs) (laughs) because I was, but I just wanted to get it right. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Anyway. Um, but you know, I just took a look at the website, the climb for Alzheimer's and I have to say, uh, it's it's not that many steps up this um, Grouse Grind. Tell me about this event that's coming up on September
3: 24th. Sure. So it is the 11th annual climb for Alzheimer's. As you said, Maureen, it's the uh, Saturday, September 24th, and it's on Grouse Mountain, and we climb the grind. So it's 2,830 steps up the grind, and teams as well as individuals come together to uh, hike the the grind to show people living with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias that they don't have to face this uphill journey alone. So this year our our uh, theme is courage. And while there's zero percent cure for dementia and and Alzheimer's disease, mm-hmm. there's a hundred percent courage for people to to climb this mountain to to raise the funds to help people get the services that they need.
0: Right, and you know. Two thousand eight hundred and thirty steps. That's not bad. I mean it is uphill. Um, but that's not bad when you think about, you know, there's been a lot of focus on ten thousand steps a day. So it's really yeah. like less than a third of that. Except exactly.
3: happens to be vertical. <laughs> it does. And and that's um, sort of that's sort of the point of it, right? It's supposed to be hard because the the journey of dementia is not an easy one.
0: No, it certainly is not an easy journey at all. And in fact, I have patients in my clinical practice who are uh, living with Alzheimer's disease and, mm-hmm. you know, it's very difficult to see them over time it basically decline. And then mm-hmm. also the, their spouses, their, their caregivers, uh, yeah. you know, the
3: impact on them cannot be overstated. Exactly. So the, the one of the main focuses of the climb is, is raising the funds and, and, and raising that awareness so that we can build a province uh, where people living with dementia, their caregivers, families are all acknowledged, supported and included. And it's truly a dementia friendly B.C. Mm-hmm. And where will the funds go, Devin? Uh, the funds will go towards programs and services to make sure that they're available in communities throughout BC. Uh, it also supports research into the causes and cures and influences public policy, uh, to reflect the issues and realities of people affected by dementia in British Columbia.
0: Mm -hmm. And the, and the realities are, you know, just so sad. Uh, I mean, people can get Alzheimer's at an early, at a young age. I actually had a friend who had it At about 43 years of age, very talented architect and, you know, had a couple of years of what was thought to be depression and, and then quit their job and, and then, you know, eventually died, you know, four or five years later, but, but suffered significantly and it took a long time to diagnose him. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this is quite an uphill journey. Um. And if people now, have
3: um, questions, oh, sorry.
0: Yeah, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, where, I mean,
3: where can people find out more information? How can they register for this? That's right. So people can register or donate directly to the event at climbforalltimers.ca. Mm-hmm. And people can register as a team or as an individual. And we'll make sure that you're climbing with uh, like-minded folks.
0: And now do the do the teams raise money collectively? Is that how that works?
3: They do. So each individual uh, registers by themselves and fundraises individually, but it does go towards a team total.
0: Okay. And then do, is, is there a minimum amount or
3: whatever donation or whatever, uh, donation uh, no, we, or whatever I mean, somebody can raise? A, there's a suggested minimum of $200, but whatever folks think that they can raise, whether it's 25 mm-hmm. or 2500 mm-hmm. every dollar counts. It,
0: and it also, certainly
3: does. Mm -hmm. If people, if people donate at climbforalzheimers.ca from now until the end of September, we have a matching donation program. So up to $25,000 will be matched for every dollar raised from now until the end of September. Thanks to to some generous donors to the society.
0: Oh my gosh, that is fantastic. Um, It's just amazing because, you know, we're all aging and, Mm -hmm. and that's one of the risk factors for Alzheimer's disease and also genetics. So if you have a close relative who's had um, genetics, people are living longer, another risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. So this is a, a very, very important cause, decline for Alzheimer's. And it's just great work that you're doing. And I wish you all the success in the world. And I, I just might even join you.
3: <laughs> oh, hooray. We'd love to see you there, Maureen. Thank you. <laughs>
0: I think I can do this. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not shake it up? <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight, Devin. Once again, where can people find information about registering for this 2,830 steps of courage, the climb for Alzheimer's?
3: You can register or donate at climbforalzheimers.ca.
0: Wonderful. Well, best of luck. Hope to see you there on Saturday.
3: Thanks, Maureen. We'll exactly. see you there, bright and early, like,
0: September 24th. Care. Okay, absolutely. You take care now. We've got Johnny on the line from Calgary. Hello,
4: Johnny. Hello, Maureen. Thank you so much for taking my call.
0: You're welcome. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. I didn't see you on the <laughs> on the list before.
4: It's all so thanks good. So all good for hanging Ma- on. Yeah, Maureen, I have two que- two questions and a comment with regard to the subject of Alzheimer and dementia. However, before I say, uh, before I get to that, I want to take this opportunity and say that I have an addiction, and that is listening to your show every Sunday night. <laughs> and uh, this has been my Thank my you. big time addiction, and I cannot quit my addiction. Uh, your uh, program... There are Lisa. better
0: addictions, you know. <laughs> Thank you so much. Nice to know there's somebody out there listening.
4: <laughs> no, I mean it. Uh, this is an amazing program. I am uh, encouraging your programming director to continue with your uh, with your program because not only I feel like I am sitting in a classroom listening to instructor at the college or university, but also uh, there are so many items that you bring to your program that it is about uh, our daily lives and. Uh, uh, what a better program than this, and I am so wow. <laughs> grateful for your um, programming directors and yourself to uh, spend all this time for public and bringing all these wonderful, amazing, and good information to every one of us. Thank you so much for all your hard work. Having oh, said that, I am going so much for your kindness. No no, Having, I mean it. I really meant every word I said. Uh, as far as the two questions and a comment with regard to the Alzheimer' and dementia, uh, uh, my first question is why women are being more um, uh, women are more um, affected by this problem than men? Uh, that's my first question. and secondly, uh, how much uh, genetic plays a role in this? Uh, and uh, if this is an inherent uh, disease uh, or or not, maybe based on your understanding, you can provide those two answers. And also, as far as my comment uh, is, I heard, I don't know, Maureen, how correct is this, I heard if a person knows more than one language and speaks write, and read a second or third language, the chance of getting dementia and Alzheimer's is almost become to less than 10%, uh, because they have to translate from one language to another in their brain, and there are Mm -hmm. a lot of chemical activities or uh, nerve activity in the brain, and maybe that could be the cause of knowing more than that one language is helpful but if you heard anything about that, maybe you can also uh, make a comment about knowing more than one language to reduce the chance and risk of uh, dementia and Alzheimer's.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. You packed a lot in there. So hopefully, I'll remember all of it. Um, I think with women, women have a tendency to live longer. Um, and so there's not going to be a higher incidence in females. I think hormones play a role as well. And, and um, also, living with men definitely increases our re- I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the stressors. <laughs> no. Um, so I think, uh, hormones, uh, and also the increase, um, in uh, incidents because, uh, women actually, uh, do live longer in terms of, um, you know, learning a second language, anything that you can do to increase your cognitive, um, you know, your cognition, your, you know, increase that brain stimulation, that mind stimulation, um, is definitely, I don't know that it's going to reduce it down to less than 10%. I haven't seen that or read that, but I think that is, um, you know, it's, it's always a very good thing to stimulate the mind to pick up a new instrument or start to speak a new language. I mean, I, I do speak French, but I don't speak French, um, that well, um, unless I am, in a French speaking country. And then after about, you know, three or four days I am fluent again. Um, but you know, so I think anything that you can do, even they say, even going to a new city and learning the, the different streets and the different areas and seeing all of the buildings, you know, that can also stimulate, um, the brain to help, to prevent, um, uh, Alzheimer's as well. So, and there was one more in there that I didn't, uh, that I haven't answered because I have forgotten, <laughs> what uh, what that second question was. But um hopefully, I've answered uh, most of your questions anyway. And uh, if not, we'll get to it shortly. But thank you so much, Johnny, for your call. I really appreciate it. Staying healthy is critically important, and which is why I have invited my next guest on. She is a medical doctor, wellness and performance. She empowers lawyers, doctors and other professionals to reduce burnout and overwhelm because stress can certainly be a contributing factor to a lot of medical conditions, but her purpose is to increase productivity in the workplace, but she also sees patients in her own clinical practice. You've heard her voice before. She is Dr. Tommy Mitchell. Good evening, Dr. Mitchell. Good evening, Maureen. Thanks for having me again. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, so much to talk about. Um, I don't know if you were listening at all, but, um, you know, just so much interest in brain health. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's on everybody's mind because nobody wants to end up, uh, with dementia. Um, but I also have a, I have another question more around Alzheimer's, but I'll get to that shortly. So, um, anyway, I wanted to talk to you tonight a little bit about the importance of pomp and circumstance, especially as we honor the queen, um, her life, her legacy, her service, to the Brits. She is a much loved monarch, has tremendous public support, as we can see by the the miles and miles of of lines of people wanting to walk by and pay their respects. Why is it important that we do this? I mean, I want to say this because I've heard some people saying, you know, why bother? Why is tomorrow a federal holiday anyway? It's just going to impact our paychecks and our bottom line. And, you know, but we've had 10 days of warning or we'll have had 10 days of warning by tomorrow. Why is this so important for people?
5: For so many reasons. And you know, there's many sides of this story, like this, um, as far as the pomp and circumstance, it's marking for many, the end of an error and the beginning of a new one. Um, for so, my, I myself, I, I lived in the UK, that's where I grew up as a child and you're very much aware of the royal family and it's impacting your life from simple things like thinking God save the queen in assembly to just seeing how it's woven into society. As far as Canadians, depending on your history, a lot of Canadians have British heritage. Um, that's a factor. And then also the simple thing of just showing respect. We know that queen represented a lot of things and like anyone else who's passive, she lived a life, she had family, she was loved. And regardless of her title, she was also a human being. She was a great grandmother, mother, and she lived a very long life and has touched generations that you and I have never seen, right? She lived, Mm -hmm. she's older than both of us. She lived a very long, rich life. So I guess it's a time of respect. You can only, you only have one chance really to make something out of a situation like this. So that's, you know, why, big reason why, what is going on is going on.
0: Right. And she lived through many different time periods, as you mentioned, the, the depression and the war and the post-war baby boom and, you know, civil rights and, and, and she lived in, and reigned through much of that uh, time period. And, you know, and she was also a woman who worked uh, from what I could see up uh, two days before up until two days before she died. And she had all of her faculties. And, you know, we mentioned earlier, um, about women, uh, at greater risk of Alzheimer's disease. And one re- reason might be, and I'd like your input on this, um, Dr. Mitchell, that women have stronger immune systems than men. And, and as part of those stronger immune systems, they may have, although I think this is a little controversial, um, they may have amylo- more amyloid plaques than men do. And because of those amyloid plaques or those additional amyloid plaques, there's, that's one of the theories that might explain why women end up having a greater risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. Now, I know there's some recent research out there that's saying that, you know, that goes against that. What are your thoughts on uh, why women are more likely to get Alzheimer's disease? Well, women are more likely to get autoimmune disorders in general with the body attacks itself. And
5: that is Uh Alzheimer's disease, right? And um, Uh our immune system tends to be significantly stronger than men. You know, I know... um, Let's face it, we always joke as women how we respond to colds and flu and how men respond. And we often say they're big babies, but maybe there's some science to it. I don't know. But the fact is we are, our immune system is stronger. And uh-huh. um, perhaps it's evolutionary because we carry the babies, right? And our body has to have a system where we acknowledge it as a foreign living being inside us, but not to eat it. Because immune systems Uh destroy what is foreign, and the baby is foreign. So there's many reasons. There's lots more research that needs to come out. I know Harvard has done tons of research, and other places have done research. We don't know, but we're speculating. But Alzheimer's is a real condition, and it does impact both men and women, though women tend to see it more.
0: My guest is Dr. Tomi Mitchell. She's a medical doctor specializing in wellness and performance. Uh, thanks so much for staying on the line, Dr. Mitchell. I have a, a question for you for the fine doctor before. Um, I don't know if you saw this, um, uh, but Ryan Reynolds, um, actually did, he lost a bet and he did a colonoscopy at the age of 45 Yay. publicly <laughs> and they found a polyp, you know, which was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just a great public service announcement by him, um, by another great Canadian. Uh, so here's the question. Here is a question from a friend who is 61 years of age. He has never had a colonoscopy. He says you don't need one because he gets fit tests done yearly and they are negative. What do you think of that? And for those who do not know what a fit test is, it's a sample of your stool where they test for microscopic blood on a little cardboard. But go ahead, Dr. Mitchell. Yeah. that's a on-
5: very good question. Um, the yeah. colonoscopy is actually the gold standard for screening and diagnosing colorectal diseases. The FIT test is a very good surrogate. Um, it's great for someone who is low risk for disease, as in um, very little or no family history, healthy lifestyle, etc., cetera, et cetera. However, it's important to know that people are getting diagnosed with colorectal cancers or even these polyps, which can be precancerous.
4: At an Uh earlier
5: age and guidelines have actually changed are changing from when we used to say screen around 50 but we're actually saying much earlier and with the case of ryan reynolds being 45 i think it's safe to say even as early as 40 and sooner if there's a family history or other histories that would be an increased risk factor for polyps and cancers down the road so Uh to, to the question the fit test is good but it's not
0: good enough. I think everyone should have a colonoscopy at some point in their life. Absolutely. So, great, great answer. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, it, it is, as you said, it's the diet, it's the gold standard for diagnosing and, you know, but it's also treatment. You can ha- get diagnosed as Ryan Reynolds proved, you can get diagnosed and actually treated in the yes. same visit, you know, more, exactly. more bang for your buck there. Um, yes. Excellent. Anyway, um, Dr. Mitchell, I want to talk to you about a condition called body dysmorphic disorder. I had a patient one time who was very concerned. Literally, she was very trim, beautiful, but very concerned um, in intimate settings about this bit of about a, an inch of a, an inch of an area on her mm-hmm. thigh <laughs> that this mm-hmm. was going to turn off her partner, her lover. Um, what exactly is? I, I mean, I didn't think of it at the time, but you know, could that be a symptom of body dysmorphic disorder and and what exactly is that?
5: Yes. Very good question. So yes, it could be a symptom of it. So what is it? Well, it's a mental health condition where an individual can't stop thinking about what they see as a defect in their appearance. And it could be a flaw so minute that the other person might not even notice it as in potentially this case with this one inch of skin on her thigh. Um, but as a result, this person generally feels embarrassed, shame, pain, anxious, and they may even avoid certain situations, a.k.a. intimacy and other things related to this perceived uh, flaw that they have.
0: So it yeah, is, it's, it's, just, it's quite common and it's significant. And, and who does it affect mostly? Like um, what, women, what age group? Oh, women. Yeah,
5: okay. young yeah, young women. So we're seeing it even at an earlier age with the rise of social media and filters and all those the glamorization of women. Before it was, you know, late 20s, early 30s. Now we're seeing it in teenagers, like little girls. And it also does happen in men as well, but more common in women
0: yeah it's so sad and there's just so much focus on on beauty these days or or false beauty as you say Dr. Mitchell thank you so much once again we're up against the clock but I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight and you're going to come back next week and we're going to talk about menopause next week awesome we'll see you next week it's time for the Bedroom Bulletin welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show this is where we fall asleep together you and I um <laughs> you and me canada and me <laughs> anyway um no i did want to answer i did want to answer a few questions with the alzheimer's continues i've gotten a number of questions about that and um so i did want to answer a couple of them anyhow um so here it is from carson city i believe that's in nevada uh Dear Maureen, why is it that Finland, population 5.5 million, has an Alzheimer's death rate 127 times that of Singapore, population 6 million? What is Finland doing wrong and what is Singapore's secret sauce? We literally cannot afford to be in the dark about such things. Well, Finland does have a high dementia rate, and that's related to some environmental and geological factors. And there's climate issues. There's molds that are related to domiciles capable of producing these neurotoxic mycotoxins. And so the there's a cy- cyanobacteria that is found in the waters of Finland that contribute to these neurotoxins. And Finns consume on average 72 pounds of fish per year and that increases their intake of mycotoxins and heavy metals and other they're not the only country in that nordic region with uh similar rates of dementia and this is thought to be the possible reason why now as far as singapore who's way on the other end of the spectrum it, it is actually related to culture it's a different um you know very different population And it is felt that, um, it's much lower. Well, we know that it's lower than those people who live in the West and there's some genetic, um, factors that contribute to this and some cultural differences in particular, the amount of, uh, fish with the neurotoxins that they, um, eat. It's also a, a bit of a sunnier area. People might be getting out and exercising there a little bit, um, more so than in Nordic countries. So, you know, but these again, are things that need to be studied. So once again, it's important that, uh, we do as much as we possibly can to research and to prevent dementia or Alzheimer's disease. Okay. Thank you so much from Carson city, rich, Richard, rich, (laughs) appreciate uh, you listening, tuning in from there. All right, I have another question. Dear Maureen, since I have hit menopause, I have had a number of recurring urinary tract infections. I am sexually active. Any idea why I might be getting these? Yes, this is an area of healthcare that I deal with all the time. As estrogen production falls in menopausal postmenopausal women urinary tract infections can become much more frequent and there's a number of reasons for this because when a woman ages the vaginal tissues thin they and, and the thinning tissues make it more prone to infection also Uh, you may have, people may have difficulty emptying their bladder, which can also increase the chance of an infection in one's bladder because of the thin tissues. They're not as elastic. Uh, Somebody may experience a prolapse, which means the bladder may fall down and there may be urinary retention. And so a couple of things. If you do have a prolapse, it's important to get that treated. So go to your doctor, have an examination, be sent off to a nurse contents advisor or an OBGYN. A nurse contents advisor can fit you with a device that, um, that's called a pessary, which is a medical grade silicone device. It's inserted into the vagina and supports the organ that has fallen down and puts it back up. Um, also something that you can do to reduce your, um, incidence of urinary tract infections, ensure that you drink enough water-based fluids, so that your urine is clear 90% of the time. Uh, You might want to try to avoid before and after sex if you're sexually active. D-manos may help as well. And also you might uh, speak to your doctor about having a prescription for low dose localized estrogen therapy. Um, which is uh, prescription medication, as I said, and it actually replaces the estrogen that has been lost in the vaginal tissues. It's actually called, a syndrome called genitourinary syndrome of menopause or GSM. It affects the urethra, the bladder, the vagina can lead to painful sex as well. And it, so it's, it's actually a condition that is experienced by many menopausal women. And in fact, upwards of 70% of women will experience um, vaginal dryness, at least that symptom of GSM. Um, but women ha- increase, uh, the, the incidence of that increases as women ages and as women age, and as the estrogen receptors decrease in the urinary tract. Um, So just something to definitely address because that can actually lead to low sexual desire. And, and also, uh, recurrent urinary tract infections are terrible. A urinary tract infection is terrible. It's, it's just so awful. Um, it results in pain, uh, bladder pain and frequency burning urgency, and you just generally don't feel well. Uh, you can have chills and um, it's awful, and it needs to be treated uh, with antibiotics, typically. But a lot of women get recurrent urinary tract infections, and so it's very important to stay on it, and you know, stay with your physician, go to see your healthcare provider, um, see what they recommend, have the cultures. A lot of women um, will have bladder pain syndrome where they feel like they have a urinary tract infection, but then they actually. Nothing grows in the culture. It can be something that's very frustrating. Also, for women over the age of 65, you can actually die from it. You can get urosepsis, and that can lead to hospitalization and death. And so, it's very important that you prevent urinary tract infections and estrogen in the form of a cream or a ring are very important. I don't feel like the tablet works that well for uh, many, many people. So I would suggest the cream or the ring, and there's a couple of different, um, products in the cream. There's, um, and there is, um, Premarin cream as well. And then there's an E-string. Uh, so definitely speak to your doctor about that. But, you know, if you don't want something that has hormones in it, you can also try using a, especially if if you have vaginal dryness, you can try using, um, a hormone-free personal moisturizer, which can also be used as a lubricant. And what I recommend is Fem P H E M M E. You can read about it on my website. And um, very important, and it, it feels like a rain shower for your vagina. It is fabulous. Anyway, and and a lot of women, and and that's the reason that I recommend that because in my clinical practice, that is the one. It's the most hygienic. It has all natural ingredients and. Um, you know, it's, it's the preferred one by the thousands of women that I've seen in my clinical practice for this issue over time. So P-H-E-M-M-E, uh, which is fantastic. I have another email, uh, dear Maureen, what are some of the most common things that people regret on their deathbed? I don't feel that the queen has any regrets. Thank you, George. Thank you, George. That's such a a very interesting email. You know, I think we all have regrets. Everybody lives with regrets. And I'm I'm sure that the queen had regrets as well. But some of the top regrets of the dying uh, from my experience or from things that I have read, um, people who I know who have been diagnosed with a um, terminal illness. I, I know one person who had everything in the world and was diagnosed with a terminal illness and and said to me you know I was never happy I was never truly happy I've only found happiness since I've gotten this diagnosis because I have learned what is important in life they said every christmas was misery i was just shrouded in perfection everything had to be perfect i was stressed all the time and then they said this past christmas I was with the people that were most important to me that I was closest with, and I knew what mattered. I didn't care about the decorations. I didn't care if things looked good, slapped up a few wreaths and I was much happier for it. And so sometimes it takes a devastating diagnosis for somebody to realize what they have. It takes a crisis. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a GP and he was saying, you know, for a lot of people, it takes a crisis for them to actually change for them to, um, you know, for them to realize that, you know, what's important in life and and for them to change if they're, you know, kind of nasty people. And and all of a sudden they can become more giving and they become philanthropic and they can, we're seeing a lot of philanthropy out there these days, Patagonia. um, You know, he has given away, um, his name is escaping me at the moment, more and more, I'm thinking I have Alzheimer's disease. Anyway, (laughs) Patagonia has given away his uh, company to a not-for-profit organization. His kids didn't want to be billionaires. (laughs) I love it. Mine do. In fact, one of mine recently said, why don't I have a trust fund? I said, oh, you wouldn't know what to do with the trust fund anyway. You wouldn't do good work, I said. (laughs) Anyway, that one said they'd have a singing career. (laughs) maternal guilt anyway. Um, so, but the, the things that people mostly regret on their deathbed, of course, you know, mostly people wish they hadn't worked so hard that they spent more time with their family, that they didn't spend so much time in the office. A lot of people wish that they'd stayed in touch with friends or family more so. A lot of people wish that they allowed themselves to be happier. And some people have such difficulty expressing their feelings that they'd wish that they'd that they that they'd had the courage to express their feelings. And the one thing that I think is important, it's never too late to do this, have the courage to live a life true to yourself, not the life that others expected of you. And I think that's one thing that the queen did, George, is that she lived a life true to herself. Thanks for all of your text messages. Uh, And here's one from an unnamed source. You say walking is good exercise. How far is 4,000 steps? Typically, 4,000 steps, depending on how quickly you walk, is about three kilometers. So 10,000 steps is about eight kilometers. So you do eight kilometers a day, maybe 56 kilometers a week. You do three um, kilometers a day, that's 21 kilometers a week. So all of that is very good for blood flow, for cardiovascular health. What we're learning is that what's good for cardiovascular health is also good for brain health and prevention of dementia. So if, uh, we shook it up tonight a little bit and, uh, we put COVID at the end <laughs> of the show because, you know, COVID is not over. It is continuing on. I see, I'm seeing patients in my clinical practice who have been diagnosed with COVID. Fortunately, most of it is virtual these days. And so they're getting COVID, but I also have a really good friend who has gotten COVID. The entire family has COVID and they're all quite. They have been quite sick. They're actually on the mend uh, now, but um, two out of the five in the family have lost their sense of taste and smell, and so I know that that's very concerning to them. So you still don't want to get COVID. The bivalent vaccines are coming out. Health authorities are rolling those out this week across the country. Um, so definitely speak to your healthcare provider about getting uh, the bivalent. Uh, vaccine in clinical trials, a booster dose of the Moderna bivalent COVID-19 vaccine triggered a strong immune response against both Omicron BA1 and the original COVID-19 virus strain. Those are the two strains that it targets. It was also found to generate a good immune response against Omicron BA4 and BA5. Those are the the Omicron subvariants that currently make up the majority of new COVID-19 cases in Canada. And these subvariants are highly transmissible and you do not want to get it. A friend of mine said today, um, her husband is the only one wearing a mask. I said, and me, <laughs> um, and she said, Oh, him and you, that's it. And that's true. I'm continuing to wear my mask in the supermarket and where, if I go indoors and I try to stay away from people as well, but COVID is airborne. So keep that in mind, hence the mask. Um, but say you want to have some people over, say you're just, you know, tired of lack of socialization where we are seeing that socialization is helpful for good brain health. And so some people still don't want to have people over, but what you can do is have people over outdoors in the elements (laughs) on your deck, on your patio good ventilation. It's freezing. If you have a patio, I think of a patio as like a screened in room. Um, but say on your deck or outside, maybe you have a uh, patio out there. Some people are putting couches outside on their deck, especially if it's undercover. Um, but also getting fabulous blankets. Think of having a, a giant blanket out there so you can snuggle up with somebody outside. Um, also those huggies, those, um, they're like, big, uh, you know, anyway, snuggly kind of things that are actually quite warm. Um, they're incredibly warm. So maybe have a few of those outside and invite some people over. As I mentioned, putting a couch outside instead of patio furniture, it's a little bit more comfortable, an outdoor heater you might want to have, or a fireplace coffee table also might help anything to keep people out Doors and, you know, maybe serve some really hot chilies or um, some soups, clam chowder, one of my favorites being from New England. Um, and so, you know, it, it doesn't mean COVID is not, is much less transmissible outdoors, hence going outside. But, you know, a lot of people will be gathering indoors, um, but you want, might want to actually stay outdoors and visit with your friends outdoors, even have a book club outside, you know, with, lights and blankets and a fire, nothing could be nicer. And you know what? It's, um, you know, it can be a lot more fun outdoors, just a little different than everyone hanging out in the living room. Um, anyway, so the most important thing is that you stay safe and healthy and well.